Scripture memory verse tonight, Joshua 1.8. This book of the law, I forget it, my brain went frozen, sorry. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, so that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. Then you shall make your way prosperous, then you shall be of good success. Joshua 1.8. Literally, my brain goes to Acts 1.8 when I think of Joshua 1.8. But that's just the way it goes in my brain. Uh, anybody else? It's a lot, I know. And if you haven't memorized it before, then it makes it even harder. But I've been memorizing this one for 25 years. so, um, And I still butcher it a little bit because sometimes you get familiar with it. Anybody else want to try it? Read it? Do something with it? Joshua 1.8 For this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Shall meditate in it day and night. That you. This is where I was getting again. That you. May. That you may observe to do all according that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. For then you will be, you will have good success. Joshua one eight. Good job, good job. To observe as well. Yeah, it's really close. That's good. That's a long scripture to memorize in one week. Anybody else want to try it? Joshua one eight. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. So then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will be a good success. Joshua 1.8. Good job. Anybody else want to memorize it, read it? This is uh, Joshua is the first history book, the first of the 12 books of history. So um, I, I love the book of Joshua. Of course, Joshua is Yeshua. Uh, it means Joshua. Uh, uh, Jehovah saves or the Lord is salvation. It's the Hebrew for Jesus. So the Greek Jesus is is the same. It's the same word. Um, And um, Joshua is being handed the mantle. If you remember, if if you read in Deuteronomy 24, Moses has died on Mount Gil... Is it Mount Gilboa? Is that right? Mount Nebo. Mount Nebo... Uh, Moses had to gather his stuff. And if you think about it, I mean, really, it's amazing. Moses represents the law. So the law can't get you into the promised land, right? It has to be Jesus. It has to be Yeshua. It has to be the Lord's salvation. But the law reveals the Lord's salvation. It leads you to it. So we're going to have Moses, who's in the tent of meeting, 
talking to God face to face. He's the only one that ever has. That's Deuteronomy 24.10. He would speak to God face to face. But who's sitting there? The whole time, Joshua is sitting there and being trained. Joshua is probably somewhere between 80 and 90 years old right now. He's getting handed the commission. He's going to take them across the River Jordan. If you remember, they've been in the wilderness 40 years. Two years they were traveling. And then 38 years they were punished. And 40 is the number of judgment. Um, It was an 11-day journey. Think about that for a minute. An 11-day journey when they went out of Egypt to get to the promise with a D on it. It's not not the promised land, but it's a type to us of what God promised them, a land of flowing with milk and honey. But since there's chaos and there's confusion and there's sin and there's all the ites in the land, right? It's not the promised land. The promised land is what Jesus gives us. The promises of God are fulfilled in Christ, in Yeshua. He leads us across and brings us into heaven. So there is a difference between it and we don't want to get stuck on it. Because this is a physical promised land, and we have a spiritual inheritance from Christ. So it's, it's got, we've got to be careful. I shouldn't have took them off. I can't read any notes with them off. Uh, so Joshua 1.8. believe. I mean, just, just simply, Joshua wrote the book. But they believed that Phineas could have finished the final writings at the end of the book uh, to complete the book of Joshua. I just want to give you a few things here. Um, Something that is revealed here, and we're not starting the book of Joshua, but I want you to see the general background of it. You know, it's the land that God gave the Jewish people. They weren't really a nation yet. The Jewish people uh, and I was reading somewhere, it was over 300 square miles, or excuse me, 300,000 square miles of land. And they never took more than 30,000 square miles. They never, and it's, what, it, it's, it's a picture for you and me of us and our identity in Christ and the freedom we have by faith through grace where we can walk out and we can live this life for God, but we never take it. We don't understand it. We don't read our Bibles. We don't learn what God has done and how we can go out and be overwhelmingly more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And we never take the full land. And it's a picture really as they go in, listen, of sanctification. It's sanctification of a land. They're supposed to go in and kill all the ites in the land. See, if God would have took the ites out, the land would have overgrown. But He left them there. So that they will go to and obey and have the experience and the relationship with God to see the victories in taking the land and then see God come through and it strengthens them. And it's the same thing with us. God could just like that just took our flesh. He could have took away the sin nature completely, but he wants us to, to, to join with him in our surrender as he gives us the instructions, the power, the word to die to self and to enter into His freedom of walking this out by faith so that we can be sanctified and cleansed, washed for Him. And then He builds the fruit. He grows the fruit. And we get the, we get the uh, uh, 
I guess you would say we get the glory for it until we lay our crowns down and say, uh-uh, holy, 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 you know, on the other side. But we get the, the credit for it on this side. And then we should never, never take it like that. We should humble ourselves and know that it comes from the Lord. But it's amazing that they go in and instead of killing off the ites, they get tricked into making friends with them. They, 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 they let them remain in the land. And, and they never, ever conquer the whole land. And they still have it. There's going to come a day when they do. In the millennial kingdom, they will have every bit of it. But right now, they do not have it because they do not obey. And what were they given instruction to do? That this book of the law. See, Moses wrote, talk with God face to face. Everything before this, Moses wrote down. The Pentateuch, the Decalogue, the, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Moses heard from God and then wrote it down. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't there with Adam and Eve, but God told him and he wrote it down. And, and, but he heard it by mouth from God to write it down and record it. But he was sharing it with others. And you and I, we should understand that God speaks to us still today. And people don't get that. I mean, there, you can be dealing with issues and God in your intellect will tell you everything is getting ready to go on. The Holy Spirit will tell you what's going on. The Holy Spirit can outline it for you. The Holy Spirit will outline and speak to you. But it's not some supernatural crazy thing. It's called faith. It's called faith. You're listening. You're asking God. And God uses your intellect to outline it and give you wisdom in how to do things. He gives you supernatural word of knowledge, a word of wisdom. These are things that He can give you to know how to do things that you don't know how to do. To know things about people that you don't even, you're not supposed to know. But you know them and you know how to pray because of them. So supernaturally, God is doing the work. And this is what happens though, is that they walk away from the book of the law. Listen, that's our verse. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. I mean, and we talk about a lot of things, but what are we talking about? And of course, uh, now we know that not just five books, the book of the law, um, which the Sadducees used to be saying that they follow, uh, but now we have the whole Bible, 66 books by 40 authors. 66 books by 40 authors. We have the New Testament now, and it all becomes really to you and I, this book of the law what God has said, what we need is instruction, what we need to follow and learn. And listen, you can learn all of it and puff up with knowledge. I know the Bible. I can quote all 66 books backward. You know? Listen to me, because you can puff up. But in learning them, you're supposed to grow in the relationship because there's a marriage. We're supposed to cleave to our husbandmen. And one of the words in here we'll bring out in a minute means to cleave to. Because that's what you do is you leave and cleave. We're leaving the world and we're going to cleave to God. Because He come down to save us. He became the kinsman redeemer. We're now betrothed to Him. So we want to cleave to Him and there's nothing in the world for us anymore. Except for deception. But our pride and our sin nature wants to be known in the world, wants to have the, what the stuff is in the world. And so there's that deception that is there, and it's self-deception, where we go, well, you know, I can, and then I will, and it's going to be okay because I said a prayer, and I'll be fine. But we need to really just not even open the bag. We need to be very careful because it's hard to get the chips back in the bag once you've eaten them. 
listen, it's pretty amazing how the, the Old Testament gives us a physical with a whole nation of what the New Testament wants us to do in the spiritual, in our own personal sanctification. Where we're supposed to be walking with God and we're supposed to be going in to each place and allowing God to take out, to wash and cleanse us. Let's just read it. It's pretty interesting. And I'm going to start in verse 1 and we'll go down probably to verse 9 and try to get a little bit of understanding of it. Um, Yeshua or Joshua, he's the one that divides up the inheritance too. Isn't that interesting? He gives the allotment to each of the tribes. And that's the way it is. As the Holy Spirit, He sends the Holy Spirit back. And then the Holy Spirit gives us the allotment of the inheritance, the gifting, and everything that we need to walk this out and to be washed and cleansed as we follow forward and obey God. Um, so our surrender and obedience is not of ourselves. It's because of the Holy Spirit helping us but when we surrender and obey, that's when we make our way prosperous and then we have good success. And it's not because of us. And we don't want to try to steal the glory. Let's look. After the death of Moses, one called out, the servant of the Lord. So notice Moses was a servant. It's very, it's very important. It came to pass. Is that, what is that? Hoya? Hoya? It's, a, it's an amazing word, huh? Didn't you say it came from I am? I, I, I looked it over a little bit and I was like, wow. I always like when it comes to pass that the Lord spoke. Think about it. The law died and the, law, and the Lord spoke. Really? You guys hear His voice? My sheep hear His voice. I know them and they follow me. That's what Jesus said. He's still speaking today. He's speaking louder than before. If we ask the Holy Spirit to, to speak to us, but you have to be still. You have to get before God. You have to be willing to surrender. And you want to draw near to Him. I guarantee you, He'll draw near to you. He spoke to uh, Joshua, the son of Nun or Non. And Moses' assistant. Really, it's the same word, servant. It's Moses' servant. It's the same word. Uh, and, and you have this pattern of discipleship going on. Moses is coming before God and he's serving God, and then he has an assistant or a servant that's serving him, but learning and being trained and understanding to go forward at the same time. And there's actually more there, but I'm going to move on. There's a whole lot there, but I can't stay here because we've got to get to verse 8. There's a ton there. Um, so he came to, to Yeshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant or servant saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over the Jordan, which is descender, you and all the people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Notice it's the children of Israel. Um, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you as I said to Moses. I'm going to keep moving. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, 
all the land of the Hittites and the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. It's a promise from God. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Now think about that. What a promise. What a promise to have from God. We're given the same promise in the New Testament for the, for the church today. And, and, and really, I mean, we know that Jesus says, and after he arose from the dead, in Matthew 28, 18, he said, All authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm with you always. Think about the authority that comes with that. The privilege that comes with that. Think about when you believe that God is there with you. And especially when you think about what just happened to the children of Israel that were dead in the wilderness. Hebrews 4 tells us that they did not mix faith with what they heard. They heard it, but they didn't believe it. And that's why they come back, 10 of them, with a bad report. And two of them, Joshua and Caleb. Caleb now is 80, and Joshua is uh, somewhere between 80 and 90 now. Uh, some people say that he's 80. I don't know how old he is. I, it's somewhere between 80 and 90. He's going to die at 110. So we know that he's got a little over 20 years left. He's going to go in and be able to, to divide up the land. But God has said, I will not leave you nor forsake you. But he also said, just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. And uh, that's amazing that God will be with us just as he was with the one that he drew out there. Or you can even look at it as the law that leads you to the uh, Christ. Uh, that's a school mom that leads us to Christ. And we can trust him for that righteousness. And we don't want to uh, live by the law. So we want to believe that. Now, verse 6, the number of man, be strong. See, because if God gives us a promise and God tells us to go, and God says He's going to be with us and He's never going to leave us nor forsake us, now we have a choice to make. Now we have to think about this and ponder this and go, what am I supposed to do now? Do I be, I'm either going to believe God or I'm not going to believe God. I'm either going to surrender and begin to be led by God and go in and obey God, or I'm going to keep doing my own thing. And this is the decision that we need to make here. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide an inheritance, the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. So really, this is the promise that's given, and Yeshua is going to be the one that hands it out. So it's a picture of Christ in the New Testament is going to be the one that brings eternal salvation. Old Testament saints looked forward to it. They knew that God's provision was coming. And they had the law, which was a kofar. It's a kofar. It's called a covering. They had a covering. But then Jesus comes and he takes away sin. The, the, the animals, the blood sacrifices, everything. All it did was covered them. And it allowed a holy God to be in their midst because their sins were covered. But they were only covered. They weren't taken away. 
So every year they have uh, 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 the Day of Atonement. Every year the high priest had to sacrifice a goat for himself and then he could go into the Holy of Holies and sacrifice one for the nation and confess the sin. You know, and all year long the people would come and they would bring their animals and, 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 and hold its head while the priest sliced its throat and the blood would run out on the altar and they would know something had to die for their sin, for their waywardness, for their trespass against God. And they would see that and all these animals died for their sin. And then Jesus comes. It was always prefiguring, always looking forward to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. One sacrifice. Not, not covering, but taking away in Christ. And the bell is written. And that's His flesh. And now we can come in boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And the promise of God is fulfilled in Christ, in Yeshua. And it's so amazing that, that um, His name is Joshua. It's also interesting, think about it, that the Old Testament is in Hebrew and the New Testament is in Greek. And we think about it, and most people don't know that Joshua and Jesus is the same name. Unless you draw near, unless you unless you want to understand more. You know, there's a guy that comes to church and he's like, he's like, well, I understand Jesus and I understand this, but Greg, what does barn animals have to do with God? And see, really, I was able to explain it to him and then help him understand that he really didn't understand Jesus because they all prefigured. See, because sometimes we think we understand Jesus coming, but we don't understand that, that all the other things that happened that prefigured, and it's the hidden gospel inside the Old Testament. It's the foundation of it all, and he's fulfilling it. It's all fulfilled in Christ, and that was the promise of God. So we better keep moving here. Um, God keeps His promise. And here it is. But now, see, they have to be faithful. And they go into the land and they don't believe God. They're not faithful. And what, you can read that later. I'm not going to teach the whole book of Joshua, even though I'd love to. It's an amazing, um, amazing book. The first book of all these historic books that teach us and tell us and help us to understand the mistakes they made the things that they did right. So be strong and courageous. Don't I have that courageous? Now listen, courageous is an interesting word because while it does mean to have courage, it, you can't have courage. I mean, you can say, I'm courageous and then never move. It's almost like uh, faith. I have faith, and then you never do nothing. And James says, I'll show you mine by my works, by what I do. My actions, there's evidence in my faith. And it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's just that people say they believe, but then they do nothing different. There's no repentance. There's no works that follow, that, that prove the repentance. But anyway, it means to be alert physically, on foot, or mentally encourage and swift footed it means to be swift footed and I, I just I just like that we're doing something I will see in a minute that when we get down in verse 9 it means um, to confirm or establish or fortify it means to be strong in the feet uh, swift footed
footed and we should be running a race. Walk is what that's talking about. Anytime you're talking about the feet, you're talking about your walk. And so we should be running like horses. I mean, we should literally be out there because we've got the strength of God. We've got, we should be, the Spirit of God is with us. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So everywhere you go as you obey Him, He's right there with you. He's going to show Himself strong. He's going before you. We're following Him. We're hearing His voice if we're doing it His way. And they were already told to go into the land and take the land. And you know what? The people were in fear. They were in dread. They heard the promises. They seen God bring them out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. They seen and heard the testimony of Pharaoh's armies destroyed and killed. They already were going. You know, when they get to Jericho, they're freaking out. And think about it, when you actually, that's the first city that was taken, right? And you think about it, and God didn't say, all right, let's get some battering rams and a bunch of trees and let's start some fire and let's get some things going here. We're going to take this city. He said, no. Because it's not in our strength. He said, march around the city for seven days. Think about that. Here's the battle plan. Okay, God, wait a minute. Hold up, God. Come on. Come on. Think about it. Just think about this. If in modern day, in the physical entanglement of the world, if the general comes and he says, hey, march around the city seven times on the seventh day, march around it seven times, and when you march around it the last time, shout, and I'll tear down the walls. Think about that. Your guys are going to be like, what? And we're warriors. We want to fight. Shout. The walls will fall down. Think about it. They're already fearing. They're already dreading. They've already heard about this great people that's come out. And then they're looking over the wall and these guys are just marching around. But it's not just that they're marching around. They're obeying God. That's the most important feature you're going to see about this. They could have done anything, but they need to obey God. And that's about us and our sanctification is we need to do it God's way. We need to obey God's way. He tears down the walls. He is the one that lays everything down. They tried to take the little city, the second city, remember? Because it's called AI, artificial intelligence. They tried to defeat AI, artificial intelligence, or, or, or A actually in the Greek means no, so no intelligence. They tried to defeat it, but there was sin in the camp. Achan had taken a Babylonian garment, a silver garment, and taken some money. He buried it in his, in his, in his tent. And Joshua said, oh, yeah, we get a cup of coffee. Just send a couple hundred guys down there. That's just a little bit. He said, look what we just did there. You didn't do nothing there but obey God. And you forgot to ask God, what do we do with AI? So a bunch of them uh, died, and they took flight. Joshua was like, what? Like we should be. If something's not going right, we should cry out to God. He allows adversity, so we will cry out to Him. In the world today, if you have adversity, they think you're not doing something right with your faith. Alright? But God brings adversity, allows adversity to wake us up so we'll cry out to Him and trust in Him and wait on Him and follow Him because He's the one that wrote and is the author and finisher of our salvation. The author and finisher of our faith. 
So we don't want to be running this race and doing this fight and living this life and going, I got her figured out now. All I got to do is get up and read my Bible. No. You're missing the whole thing. It's a relationship with the God of the universe that you're learning what He requires, oh man, and you're obeying it by His Spirit. Because you, there's nothing good in us. Nothing. And so we want to make sure we're drawing near. We're hearing His Word. And this book of the law doesn't depart from our mouth. Yet nobody wants to talk about it. Hey, you're a Christian? Let's talk about the Bible. Huh? can't talk about that in the marketplace. I'm trying to work here. I'm trying to be prosperous and have good success. Really. Sounds like bondage to me. Anyway, it's amazing. And then when they get right with God and they deal with Achan and he's swallowed up by the ground because he wasn't dealing with his sin. And it's the same thing. Listen, I'm not, I'm not just talking, oh, there, this is what was going on there. It's the same thing in the church today. The body of Christ, our sin affects the other people in the body. And so we want to make sure we're covered in the blood. We want to make sure we're moving forward. We want to make sure we're crying out to Jesus if we're struggling with sin. We're accountable. We're dealing with things that are going on in our life. We're all spotless in the blood of Jesus if we believe in Christ. But we want to be right also because if you bring that sin into the church, and I was talking about this Wednesday night because it's driving me crazy that we're getting our talking points from the media and we're supposed to be fighting against LGBTQ and all we're doing is getting a bad, a bad slant of this because we're not supposed to be fighting anybody. We're supposed to be going out and making disciples. I don't think that sounds like fighting. That sounds like instructing and teaching and telling and letting the Word of God come out of our mouth. And anybody that's in sexual sin, we should be speaking the word of God to them. It doesn't matter whether they're LGBTQ or just committing adultery or just committing fornication or just living the wrong way. We're called to preach the good news of the gospel that you don't have to be like that. We don't have, we don't have to. I mean, and so why is the world picking our battles and saying that we are being mean to LGBTQ? No, they're sinners just like we were sinners. But the difference is, is we repented. The difference is, is that we said, Lord, I'm a sinner. I, 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 and I need a Savior, and I know it. We're not saying, hey, I used to rob houses, and I think it's good, and you should let thieves into heaven. See, we're saying that was wrong. We're lawbreakers. We were missing the mark. And now we, our eyes are open, and we see that Jesus. But see, the church, they don't mind that the pews are full of people that are living together. They don't mind that men and women are living together and they're not getting married and, and that's sexual sin to God. That they would live together and shack up together for years and years and years and, and become leaders in the church shacked up together. And that sin affects every person in that body. And I'm not saying we should walk around uh, hey, your sin, what is it? What's yours? Get up there and confess it. But when we see somebody that we know is living together, we know they're going to the bar every week, we know they're struggling with sin, we see them, we're not picking on them, we want to help them. We want to ask them how do they want to deal with it? How can we help you deal with it? It's just that simple. You don't let them keep coming into the body of Christ. But we're in this upside-down culture entity where church 
is everybody that wants to come to the door instead of a believer's meeting. See, church is supposed to be just what it says. It's Greek ecclesia. It's the called out ones meeting together to be equipped and instructed to go out to the ones that need to be called out. See, Moses means called out one, one drawn out. Same thing, there was a congregation in the wilderness, the ecclesia, they met in the wilderness. And they were separate from the other people. And it doesn't, and all of us have sin, believe me. I'm not looking at anybody going, oh, you're sinning, you're in the body of Christ. We all have sin. But the difference is, is when you practice it, you do it, and you think it's okay to do it, and can't nobody make me stop because I'm okay, me and God's good, I said a prayer. No. That's, that is wrong. That is disobedient to God. That's not dealing with sin. That's saying that since I said a prayer, now I can live in my sin. And that's just not true. That's not the gospel. The gospel is we've been set free to follow God, to learn to deal with our sin, and to obey God and confess our sin without the penalty of death attached. But it's not so, I can do whatever I want now. Paul would say, no, God forbid that we would live that way. So my point is in all of this is that here uh, it, was, it was in the land they weren't dealing with, they weren't obeying, but us it's in personal sanctification. Are we trying to deal with it? They made friends with the people of the land. They became, they said, okay, well you can come serve us. And you don't want your sin serving you and saying it's okay now. You want to deal with sin. You want to cut it off quickly. But Christ has already paid for all of it. I think I got lost there, didn't I? Be strong and courageous. Why? Why would I be uh, fleet-footed? Why would I run a race to win? Why would I be swift-footed and run like horses and learn to run a race that you may you may be able to observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you commanded is an interesting word uh, it means to enjoin to appoint to charge that's an interesting word. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. So there's a straight way. You don't go to the right. You don't go to the left. There's a straight and narrow path. You know, as Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says. Uh, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. He, he will direct your paths. You don't want to turn to the right and the left and make this, you know, think about if you're planting a garden and you're all over the place with this row. I mean, you're, you're supposed to, 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 to be swift-footed. You're supposed to be moving in a straight direction and learning what God has said to us. And not turning that you may prosper wherever you go. And listen, go. We're going to see that at the end of uh, verse 9. Go. That is the command of the New Testament. Go. We're supposed to go. We come to Jesus and we go to the world. The body of Christ today. Listen, I, I, I'm pretty serious about that. That the body is not, 
it's, the body is not for unbelievers. It's just not for unbelievers. 2 Corinthians 14 tells us it's not for unbelievers. It says, if an unbeliever comes in. That's what it says. If an unbeliever comes in and hears you speaking in tongues, he'll fall down and confess his sin. So we know that originally the, the building and the people that are meeting and the Bible study that was going on was not for people that were unbelievers. It was an abnormal thing for an unbeliever to come in. Well, why? Because they were persecuting them. Why would somebody that didn't believe in Jesus come walking through the door? But see, today it's culture-ending. Today it's a place to go warm your hand. Today it's a place to go meet somebody. Today it's a place to, to, to saturate and spread your business around and find and meet and greet and win and influence friends. Today it's a total different thing than what the church is during persecution. Believe me, it's coming again. And even now, the sword has been stuck in, and the church that, that used to come to church, numbers are way down. Numbers are way down. And some of it is because of bad publicity. Once again, we're out listening to the news instead of listening to what the Spirit would say to the church. I mean, think about it. That's our mandate today, isn't it? He who has the ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit would say to the church. Not what the 10 o'clock news would say to the church. Oh, that's terrible. They did that. I'm going to go out there and get in the street and I'm going to yell about this. Really? The church is supposed to be sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not falling around and fighting over the lies of the world. And no matter what the world is doing, every one of them needs who we know. Jesus Christ. They're, they're not the enemy of us. They're the enemy of God. We are supposed to go out and make disciples of them. They're not our enemy. They're our mission field. That's who we're supposed to be speaking to. And if we make them our enemy, they're not going to listen to us. The same message we should give to LGBTQ is the same message we should give to anybody who is not living for Jesus Christ. You're a sinner, you need a Savior. Without a Savior, you're going to go to hell. That simple. And if they believe that the Holy Spirit changes their lives, then they're going to come out of their LGBTQ. See, the problem is there's so many churches affirming it and saying it's okay because of the synagogues of Satan. There's nothing you can do to save somebody except proclaim the message. That's it. You can't argue with them about their sex. You can't argue that there's only male and female. That doesn't save people. That makes people argue. And the Lord's bomb person is not supposed to be quarrelsome. So if people are being drawn by the Holy Spirit, now I'm not saying we shouldn't know the truth. I'm not saying we shouldn't be able to give an answer to the hope that lies within us. I'm not saying we shouldn't know truth. I'm not saying we shouldn't know how to answer every man according to the wisdom of God. But I'm saying when all you do is quarrel and fight in the street, that's not spiritual, that's physical. All we're supposed to do is stand and hand out the spoils from heaven. We're supposed to be sharing the gospel. They're not going to ever hear our voice if they're fighting on the other side of the line. You can't share. Think about it. If you have two nations fighting, you really can't walk over and share the gospel or anything with the people shooting bullets at you. They, uh, they think you're trying to shoot them. So they're going to shoot you when you come walking up. 
So when somebody thinks that the church is their enemy, they don't want to hear it. And that's the way we've been postured. But the world has made us do that. The world has made us do that with the 10 o'clock news, with their talking points. I don't have any enemies, except, and I don't hate anybody except for what God hates. But I want to talk out loud every single day, regardless if people want to hear it. But we've got people that pretty much hate the church, and the devil's doing a good work of doing that. And the church wants to go out and fight politics and go out and fight for the Constitution. They don't know much about the Bible. I don't hear them talking about the Bible. Now, I'm not, I know there's a lot of people that are fighting for the Constitution that do know the Bible, so don't be offended. But I, my Constitution is the Bible. The Bible was long before the Constitution. The Constitution is man's document, even if it was ordained by God. My marching orders still come from the Bible, regardless. And I'm not going to be fight, I'm not going to be found fighting in the flesh because I didn't see. Again, listen. Did you see Paul fight? <clears throat> I mean, it's not even mentioned that he. That they took him outside the city and stoned him. It's not even mentioned that he tried to get away. Think about it, because wouldn't that be your natural inclination? It's not even mentioned, and I struggled with them, but there were so many of them that I could not get away, and they drug me outside the city and beat me, and then threw rocks at me, and it hurt real bad, and I was found dead. Seriously, he was in jail at least three times. I don't see any of the people in the Bible. Listen, I don't see any of them sharing the gospel that fought back in the physical. So I don't know. I mean, I'm just saying. We're, we're getting ready to have this on the scene. It's getting ready to get crazy. And we need to make up our mind long before. I was telling somebody today that long before the doctor said... She needs a trait if she wants to live. Me and my wife had already decided long before when that moment came what the answer was. We didn't wait till the emotions of the moment because the emotions of the moment were crazy. I already know. I was ready to change my mind. So, I mean, I'm just saying. We don't wait till we get in the back seat with the opposite sex to decide how far we're going. You have to make the choices about God long before that. See, Jesus did it in Little Gethsemane. Jesus did it when He said, hey, wait here and pray. And He went into the garden and He said, Father, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. Not my will, though, but Your will be done. He had already decided long before the arrest in the garden what was going to happen. He had already reasoned it out. He had fought it out. He had struggled it out. He had, he had hematidrosis. He, he sweated great drops of blood from the pressure on his physical body that fell on the ground. He sweat through his capillaries, burst inside his body, his sweat glands, and blood fell on the ground. There was so much physical stress from that. But then when he knew the will of God, he walked straight through it. 
carrying the cross, taking the beating, arrested, spit on, mocked. He had already decided. See, the Christians wait to the moment and then they decide they're not ready for the struggle because they're not spending time with Jesus. They're not spending time in the Word of God. So the struggle comes and they're destroyed. And that's why in this commission of Joshua going across, he's being told what to do to be strong, to be courageous. Not strong in yourself, Joshua. You're, you're almost 90 years old. Strong in the Lord. This is my promised land. This is my provision. This is what I said I was going to do. And you're going to lead them in. So we want to be in the will of God by faith and by grace doing what God has called us to do. Not doing something else and then going, wow, God must not love me. He didn't deliver me. No, you know it's going to happen. Peter and James and John and Paul and Jesus, all of them knew that when they went out there to proclaim the gospel, they were going to die. And they'd already surrendered their life to that moment. They already understood that to proclaim the gospel, the world would hate, the devil would hate, and that they were in God's hand. But the church today are like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. This is ridiculous. I should be able to go up there without a mask and charge it on my credit card and get what I want. Really? Is the gospel even on your radar screen? Is salvation even something that enters your mind? That people are going to hell? Is it even a thought to you? You're, you're worried about these things that are physical and not even concerned with the soul of mankind. You haven't reasoned this out. You want to fight in the street over something that's physical, but you have no concern whatsoever about your neighbor who's dying and going to hell because they think being LGBTQ and being in the church is okay. And you're afraid to speak up because they hate me anyway. And I'm getting a little sassy because this is what we're doing in the church. No use of saying anything. They're gay. I mean, come on. This is ridiculous. Jesus died for them. Whatever their sin is, just like He died for us, whatever our sin is, or was, or might be. I get a little bit frustrated over this stuff. But I'm not going to shut up. I'm going to keep speaking the truth. And people are going to keep following a bunch of nonsense and culturality instead of being led by the Spirit of God. And there's nothing I can do except proclaim truth. There's nothing you can do except proclaim truth and be a witness that goes out and is not worried about their own life. Well, I can't do that on the job. I'll get fired. So? Ten pegs in real deep, huh? If you get fired... It's all over with. God is no longer on the throne. See, I mean, we're not thinking this stuff through. And we're fighting a physical fight and drawing boundary lines. And we're all getting ready to fight. I mean, I see it on the news. And we're listening. You know what we're listening to? The news. Say, having a civil war. Really? I ain't having no war. I ain't even mad at you. Jesus already won the war. I'm standing over here in perfect peace, perfect rest, perfect victory and say, why are you not reading your Bible? Why are you not listening to the Holy Spirit? Why are you over there fighting on that line over there which is apostate 
culture entity. It's got nothing to do with being a witness for the gospel. I do not see that witness in my Bible. And I don't know how you could get that unless you're following some liars. Well, we're going to fight for this Constitution. This country was built on God. Are you going to fight for your Bible? Would you fight for the Word of God? That came before the Constitution. Well, we have a right. We're a little bit different than some of the other nations. This is in our Constitution. Really? I think the preamble is something about God-given rights. Uh, so it has nothing to do with the Constitution. It has to do with death culture. <coughs> I'm just rattling. I'll quit. I know you guys want to go home and eat and watch the news. <laughs> I'm sorry. I couldn't help it. <laughs> See what happened in court today. <laughs> I'm sorry. I am mean. What's that mean, Pastor? So you get to that's that was seven. This is you know six, seven, eight. Look, new beginning. This book of the law. Now the only book that was there at this time I, I, is the again the Pentateuch. It's the first five books that Moses wrote down, face to face from God. He wrote it down. It's the testimony of what God told him to say. And, and, and this book of the law, this holy writ, man, we're way behind, ain't we? It's a writing or a document. It's a register. It's evidence, really. And, and that's what we need to understand is that we're evidence. We're evidence. And that's what this book is. It's evidence. It's the Word of God. It's evidence. It's written down. It's a document. I was in a law office earlier. All these documents laying around. All these writs. All this evidence and all these things written down so that somebody can read them and both sides can read them. And there's two contracts. And everybody gets a chance to read them and dispute them and decide, do I want to follow what this document says or do I want to do my own thing and listen to somebody else? I'm above the law. I'm beside the law. I don't have to listen to the law. This is talking about the Word of God. Are we going to listen to God's Word? It's the only way to be prosperous. It's the only way to have good success. This book of the law, the Torah, Pentateuch, its directions, its instructions. I wish I had a lot of time left because I had a bunch of first usages and some other usages I wanted to go to. But notice, it shall not mush Lomush shall not depart from your mouth. So shall and depart is mush and mush and not is lo. I'm just telling you, I wrote it down. I can't pronounce it. It's uh, H42. Oh, no, I'm teasing. But it means uh, um, it, it shouldn't recede by contract or by contact. In other words, you're having contact with it. It's not going to recede. It's not going to withdraw. It's not going to cease. It's not going to depart. You can't take it away or remove it. It should not depart from your mouth. It should be the testimony of the saints. It should be the testimony that they're talking about as they move forward. No, God said He promised this to us. We keep moving forward. God, give us all of this land. And, and you have to keep reminding and reminding you know what? Let's look. Actually, the word for moosh was first used in Exodus 
Let's look. Exodus 13.22 I don't even know what it is. I love to go look though. The first time it was used. Exodus 13.22 It's going to be good. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. You know, you know the cloud, right? The, not the one your your all your information's on. That's not what I'm talking about. The cloud that God was there to cover his people, protect his people from the sun, and not allow them to get the heat and to be uh, and, and then the pillar of fire. What was it for? It was to give them light. See, because God is a consuming fire. And that fire is there and it shines a light so you can keep seeing. And as God takes out the with the fire, He takes out the dross from our life so we can have light. But He did not take it away. And we're supposed to be His servant following His pattern that we do not take away the Word of God from our mouth. And yet, nobody's talking about the Word of God. This is what he's saying. As you go in, do this word of this this law shall not depart from your mouth, because just as God did not take away His in the daytime, there was always that cloud, and at night there was always that pillar of fire. So they knew that the evidence was there that God was with them. Listen, by faith we know that He's with us. Because why? He promised He would never leave us nor forsake us. He said to Joshua, just as I was with Moses, I will also be with you. And he sat there and witnessed all the time. Moses is talking with God. And then he would come out. And what did he do? His face was glowing so much, it freaked the people out. So he began to, to cover his face so the people wouldn't see the Shekinah glory going away. They wouldn't see it going away from his face. He didn't cover his face to protect the people. He didn't want them to know that the anointing was moving away. So he had to go meet with God again. He had to go get some more with God and get in his presence again. And that fire would light him up again and he would go, woo! Sorry, I get a little excited. So that's the way, just the way that God was a witness and God didn't take away the cloud. God was always there. That word was first used, moosh. Moosh. It shall not depart from where though? Your mouth. Ooh. Not is no, never. It's actually ignorant or without. You should not be without it. You should not be ignorant of it. The Word of God. The book of the law. To us it's the whole 66 books and um, 40 authors. In fact, let's look at Genesis 2. The word not was used in Genesis 2 first. There's some great first usages. I wish I could have followed them all. Genesis, oh, I didn't tell you where. 2, um, 5, but we'll start in 4. It's in 2, 5. Watch this. This is the history. The generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens before, listen, before any plant of the field was in the earth and before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused it 
to reign on the earth and there was no there it is first usage man to till the ground there, there it was it, there was no no man yet no crops yet no fruit yet no rain yet but a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. When was the first time it rained? Noah. Judgment was the first time it ever rained on the planet. The earth was, was watered by the mist and the river, the four rivers that were in the garden. There was no nothing because God had not created it yet. So this that's the repeat of it. One, two, I mean, chapter 1, he gives it the thing, and then he retells it again. Um, and so our life needs to understand that all of our truth has to come from right here. And when you talk about this, and this doesn't depart from your mouth, when you're sharing about this, you're not going to believe some evolutionary principles. You're going to understand that God created. He spoke and created and that's how this all happened. And Moses wrote this down. Even though Moses wasn't there, he believed God and wrote it down. Pinned it by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We're afraid to even talk about what God's teaching us. We're afraid to even say it. Well, not everybody, but... We need to believe God that He's with us and He's sending us out as evidence. He's sending us out as witnesses. He's given us privilege. He's given us power. We do not have to shut up. He wants us to speak up and tell other people about Him. Ask them about what they think about. What they're dealing with. Shall not depart from your mouth. We're never going home again. Notice it. And shall not depart from your mouth. There's no printing press. There's no scrolls. There's nothing right now. They're not writing this stuff down. It's got to be out of the mouth. It's speech. It's a witness. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus would say, Matthew 12, 34, Luke 6, 45. Very good scriptures to look at. I'm not going there. I should go there. What's coming out of your mouth? What's coming out of our mouths? But thou shalt meditate. Meditate. It means to ponder. It means to study. It means to muse. It means to, to talk about it. To speak about it. To share about it. To allow the Holy Spirit to use you in it. In fact, what's he say in Psalms 1? Uh, uh, Blessed is the man who walks not. Oh, i got to read it. I had that memorized at one time until I just started to say it. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sets in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates in it day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. 
that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so. Listen to me. This is the same, the same thing. What are you meditating on? I mean, it's really to think about, like we, we get into the Word and, and, and meditating is you can chew on it later. You can regurgitate it back up, if you will, and go, what was that we were talking about? Oh, yeah. The Word of God, the law of God, the principles of God, the Spirit leading me, me being a witness, and you start to think about that. How's that going to work in my relationships? How's that going to work on my job? What am I going to do about this? And then you have to start talking with God about it and say, you're going to have to lead me, God, because I just am not capable of doing this. I don't have the courage to do this. I don't have the ability to do this. But I trust you, Lord, that you want me to do this. Meditated on day is your mom. Your mom. It really is. Daily, it means daytime. Night season. Now listen, night can also mean figuratively, listen, this is important, during adversity. The darkness. During adversity. See, because you're meditating on it. You're using the Word of God even in the adversity. See, because it's easy when you're up on the mountaintop to go, yo, God is good! But when you hit the valleys where the lessons are learned, and you're like, oh, is God still good? Why, Lord? Why, Lord? You know, but we need to be meditating on it day and night. Why? That you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. Listen, this has always been the reason. We need to learn God's ways and walk in God's ways and be with Him. Christ come and took the punishment away, so now there's no punishment when we fall short of the glory of God because we have His perfect righteousness. But it's still so that we can observe to do according to all that God has said. We're learning to be His children. We're learning to follow His pattern. We're learning to live His way. We're learning to be witnesses and light to others so they don't have to live in darkness and die and go to hell. But the plan is always to be like God. We were created in the image of God. And the devil come in and Eve chose and we all inherit. And now we've been given a chance to be reborn and reformed Conform to the image of the living God again. And that takes being flipped upside downward, saying no to self, saying no to all the thoughts and ideas and life that you had, and putting your spirit back betrothed to Christ and allowing Him to change your mind, will, and emotions. And then you, with your mind, will, and emotions, to beat your body into subjection by saying no, no, no. And you train it to follow righteousness in observing and doing and obeying God. Set your heart on loving Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Observe means to hedge about. It means to guard. It means to protect. It means, listen, here it is, to be circumspect. Remember that? In Ephesians chapter 4, awake from the dead, arise from your sleep, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, 
redeeming the time for the days are evil and find out what the will of the Lord is. The will of the Lord is, listen, after you already know God and you've raised from the dead and you're stopped being a fool and you want to be wise, the will of the Lord is, is your sanctification. That's what this is about. Them going into the land and sanctifying the land. Setting the apart, saying, look what God gave us. Look at the inheritance of God. He gave us this promised land. We're coming in to destroy everything in it. Judgment. And then God gave it so we can live in it. The gardens were planted. The houses were built. Everything was ready. And all they had to do was step into it. Listen, we have the same thing in Christ. Everything is already ready. The whole inheritance is there. The house is being built in the heavenlies. He's coming back to get us. And we're supposed to be allowing the truth, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to wash us and cleanse us and sanctify us through the washing of the water of the Word that we might be presented to Him a spotless and clean bride without wrinkle or any such thing. This is a mystery, but we're supposed to be looking and moving in that direction. What did they do? They went barely into the land. They divided it up. And then they sat on their butts. And the enemy came in and took over. And they got like a tenth of the land. And that's about it. A tenth. And then they were destroyed. And God sent them off into bondage because they stopped obeying. And it's a picture of Christians being duped and deceived and coming into the church saying, I'm born again. And they get about 10%. Fire insurance is about all they get. They don't know the Word of God. They're not being sanctified by God. They don't know their gifting. They don't know their talents. They don't know their abilities. They don't know the message. They don't know what they're supposed to be telling people. So what do they do? They listen to the news and they fight about what everybody else is fighting about. Which has nothing to do with going out and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Telling people that Jesus died for them. And they don't have to be sinners that are going to go to hell. They can be sinners saved by grace. And live a life with Christ and have a new inheritance in Christ. So, actually the word observe means to mark, to observe, to watch, to keep. It's actually translated keep 283 times. Meditate in the word day and night so you may keep it. Because if you don't know what the word says, how are you going to obey God and follow God and live like God and go, I'm following Jesus. How do you know you don't know who He is? I believe in Jesus. How do you know you believe in Jesus? You're not reading the Word to find out what His character and nature is. You could be following the Antichrist. You probably are following the Antichrist because you don't know who Christ is. Well, I just don't believe that God hates those people. No, He hates all sin. Pride, arrogance, and the evil way. He hates it all. That's why Christ had to come and be perfect and live for us because that's all we're full of. So it's quite natural that even if we get saved, that we would not want to do it God's ways. We would want to do it our own way. So we have to surrender and change our mind every moment until we learn what God has to say. Oh my goodness, he's been 14 hours talking about that one word. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate. Are you meditating on the Word of God or meditating on how you can get more money to get a bigger house, more money to get a nicer car, more money to get... Listen, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. This was almost your next week's verse. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. 
Now listen, because I seen a thing that, and I took a picture of it this week. I seen a thing that said, first, dot, 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 seek the kingdom of God. Now listen, because that is antichrist. Because that gives the connotation that you're supposed to seek something else second. And the verse does not say that. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all the other stuff will be given to you. He'll take care of all your needs. You're not supposed to seek a second thing. You're only seeking His face. You're only seeking His kingdom. You're only seeking His righteousness. And then He gives to you as you learn to trust Him and follow Him. You don't go, okay, now I, I got up and I was seeking God's righteousness, but now I need to go seek me some gold and some silver and some retirement money. Everything that we do, we're seeking the kingdom of God. How does this line up with the kingdom of God? As I put on the sunglasses of the kingdom of God and learn the word of God, meditate on the word of God, how does it line up? There's not a second thing to seek. But when you say, first, seek the kingdom of God, you leave second and third and fourth and fifth open. So the verse was twisted around, and that's what the devil loves to do. We got to take and make up some new stuff so that people will seek God. Yeah, go ahead and seek God. Yeah, Pharaoh said, go ahead, you go out and seek God, but leave your children and your stuff here. And when they said, no, Pharaoh, who's the type of Satan, <clears throat> he said, okay, well, take your, because he said, we got to do some sacrifice. Okay, well, take your animals and you go, but leave your kids in. Don't train your children in the way they're supposed to go. And they said, oh no, Pharaoh, but when we go, all of us are going. You're not stealing our children. You're not stealing our possessions. You're not stealing our, our souls. We're all going. God said, let us go. And guess what? If you don't, he's going to kill all of your firstborn, all of your priests. And that's what happened. God fulfilled his promises. But the enemy wants us to make and say, well, let's just turn this around a little bit and make some concessions. But you need to meditate on what God is saying and listen to His Spirit as He leads you through the Word of God. Don't let it depart from your mouth. Speak it. Share it. As you talk about it, it is revealed to you. It actually, God reveals it as you begin to share it and talk about it together. And it makes more sense. Then you shall observe to do according. There's that word again. According. The totality, properly. It means the whole of all that is written in it or recorded. Again, more written now because we have the New Testament. And then you shall be prosperous. Actually, it is uh, Salia Derek Salia. Then you shall make your way prosperous because make and prosperous is the same word it means to push forward it means to break out it means to be profitable it means to attack it means to fall on actually you're falling on this but then Derek is the road the way the course of life or the action it's the path that we're supposed to be following and then you shall have good success you know what good success means then you shall be circumspect. There it is again. We're pursuing. 
we're looking to be circumspect. So when we meditate in the Word of God and we learn what it's doing and we're falling upon it, we're trusting in it, we're moving forward in the way we're supposed to be going, He teaches us to be circumspect. He teaches us to be diligent. He teaches us to redeem the time because the days are evil. It just becomes part of the good success. He provides all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You become skillful at it. That's what success means. Expert. You prosper. You become wise. You become understanding and skillful in it. And then he says in verse 9, Have I not commanded you? (laughs) That's a question. That's a question. Think about that. Have I not appointed you and charged you and sent you as a messenger? That's what it means. Have I not enjoined you with my work? I promised this to you. I commanded you to go. And that's exactly what God's doing with us. Have I not commanded you? It's a question. Sava lo sava. I'm getting good at pronouncing words I don't understand. <laughs> I listen to them and go, that's so crazy. But that's what it is. Many times they repeat the same word. To be strong, to fasten upon it, to seize it, to conquer. Here's the cleave. Being strong is cleaving to him. Cleaving to His Word. Cleaving to what He said. Cleaving to His way. Because we want to hear what our husbandman has to say. And it means to be constant. Be of good courage. This is all verse 9. To be alert. There it is again. On foot. Mentally in courage. You're being confirmed and established and fortified. Swift footed. So you can go out with strong speed. Do not be afraid. I got to get to this. I'm sorry. We got to get to it. We're almost there. Do not be afraid or in awe or in dread or terrified by them that are trying to oppress you or cause you trouble. Do not be dismayed. Listen, you know what dismayed means? To break down or to worship, to prostrate yourself before them. See, it's coming. But don't, you need to be ready today. Because they're coming, and if you're, if you're dismayed, you're going to worship them. You're going to bow down before them. You're going to prostrate yourself before them, and you need to be prostrating yourself before God now. It actually means figuratively for them to dismay. It means uh, by confusion and fear to beat down and discourage you. Listen, that's what's going on on our planet right now. Through confusion and fear with COVID and all the chaos and the news, they're trying to make us dismayed in the confusion and fear and beat us down, discourage us, and scare us. But you can be strong and courageous in Christ. He's called us. He's appointed us. He died for us. He's given us an anointing. He sent us out. We have a message. He, they can't kill us. Because we're spirits in a body, not bodies in a spirit. We're spirits. We're going to live for eternity with our husbandmen. We're going to rule and reign with him. If we would get our identity right and understand what our mission is and why we're left here, we would be that fire. 
we would be the light like we're supposed to be on a hill so people would see that pillar of fire and they'd go there's something there and I want to know what it is they're not afraid they're not dismayed they're not confused they're standing firm that's what the church is supposed to be next week 2 Timothy 3.1 is your verse. Pretty easy one for all you people that complain all the time. <laughs> 2 Timothy 3.1 But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Perilous means... People will be in peril. They won't know what to do. They'll be dismayed and confused and in fear. It means a reduction of strength. Because the church has no strength because the book of the law is no longer on their mouth. The Word of God is no longer the message, but saving a country and politics is the message. Saving everything but souls is the message. I'm not saying that they're not talking about this. Man, that is a noble cause. You should build houses for people. That's a noble cause. But the Word of God's not on their mouth while they build the house. So all you're doing is giving them physical help and their soul's going to hell. And we're called to be the light to their souls. We're spiritual help in time of need. Christ died for us. And everything that's going on becomes a physical plan run by businesses and budgets and buildings, but not what the Spirit is saying to the church. That's why we're in perilous times in the church, and we have no identity. Father, thank You for Your Word. Help us to wake up and hear what the Spirit would say to the church. Help us, Lord, to go out and be the Gospel, to share Your Word, that this book of the law would not depart from our mouth, but we would proclaim it because faith comes by hearing and hearing by your word, Lord. Not by arguing and politics and physical wrangling and quarrels, but because your spirit convicts somebody of their sin and they repent. And if they don't repent, Lord, they're not saved anyway. And they're not going to be saved. So please, Lord, help us to wake up to what we're called to do and be your light in this world for such a time as this. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you.